the level of experimentation required because AI, Gen AI is a totally new space, right? So we have tried fine tuning. We do a rag based approach. Welcome to the Highlight Podcast. We're working on a fresh series of episodes interviewing technology builders to talk about the joys and travails of building products. Nothing of true value gets created without someone, somewhere, sweating the details and willing it into existence. Today we're talking with Alex Danilowitz. He's a co-founder of Magic Patterns, a generative AI tool backed by Y Combinator that helps builders to design and develop their front-end web applications. And it feels like magic. Thanks, Alex, for uh, being willing to just jump on here. How's life? Nice. Of course. Nice. My mom is a uh, television producer and used to be a television reporter. So this is the oh. dream right here. I'm, okay. I'm merging. This is the family destiny, writing software, but then ending up on the highlight podcast video recording. Nice, nice. So maybe we start with just a quick intro. Tell us a little bit about you. Um how how did you get to start working on magic patterns? And then maybe we can jump a little more into to to what the product does. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Yeah, my name is Alex. I'm the co-founder of Magic Patterns. We did the Y Combinator Winter 23 cohort, and we generate UI from a text prompt. We launched roughly five months ago, um, and it's it's been a lot of fun. We were led to it because we're solving a problem for ourselves, which is as former front-end engineers, we wanted to basically automate our jobs and make our lives easier. Nice, nice. And then... You said you've been working on it for five months. How big is your team? And I guess like if someone were to go to your website right now, like what what can they expect with just interacting with the product and things like that? Yeah, so our team is two people and you're looking at half of it. It's just me and my co-founder. Okay. My co-founder and I are best friends. He was the best man at my wedding. We were college roommates. We've been building product together for the last eight years now. And if you go to our website today, you'll see there's like a text prompt. Our, our landing page is literally our product. You can type in anything and then select your component library. That's what uh, differentiates us from some of the other like Gen AI tools. We really believe that like bringing your data, in this case, your component library is really, really critical to uh, Gen AI tools. So that's what we do. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. What, what are some interesting like use cases for it, Alex? Like, I guess, um, yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine as a front end engineer, like if I want to quickly just prototype a landing page or even like a particular react component in my code base, um, that seems pretty useful. Like, are there actual, like, are there like actual use cases you're seeing in companies where, this is kind of a niche that you can kind of grow into. And what does that look like? Yeah, so it's been interesting. You know, the, the landing page is the, the classic example, right? You type in a landing page for an amazing observability tool or something. Uh, and what we've real, yeah, what we realized is the use case that we're seeing is at companies is really importing from Figma because that's the workflow. Right. So at larger companies, front end engineers are basing off of design mockups, which live in Figma. And so we recently added an import to Figma feature, um, and that's been very popular. 
Um, also for like kind of the prosumer angle. So at a, at a company like ours, only two people, we use Figma, but not everything we do is based off of Figma mockups. Uh, it's going off of like very generating very complex components. For example, one of our customers, they wanted to recreate the GitHub commit history component, all those little tiles. It's pretty complicated to do by hand, uh, but they use magic patterns to do it um, from a text prompt in that case saying, recreate me the GitHub commit history component. Is there, is, do you have any, are there any hesitations around the fact that I have an existing huge code base? I import a small component out of it into Figma to convert to magic patterns and it not like agreeing with the hierarchy of my code base. And you know what I mean? Or, or is that generally fine because that's just how react works and you guys have built it in like a react forward way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, right now we really focus on the component, uh, right. Component meaning the literal react component, like what boils down to a react component. Of course, we all know realistically a component can be an entire page or it can be as small as a button in its own file, right? Um, but, and we have, um, we're going to talk about this later, but we have a GPT and we call it component GPT, kind of, again, driving home on the point of we have one, we, be, we best produce components, right? So what makes it up, you could also call it like the molecules, right? Of you have a button and an input and a search bar. That's what we would be best at as opposed to a full on page. Got it. And and can I, as an engineer, give it, give magic patterns context on the, the context that's importing that component that way, you know what I mean? Like it, it spits out the component, but really I wanted to accept four props, each of which have these the, these enums or whatever, you know what I mean? Like doing, getting a little more like specific. Yep. yep. So again, a use case that we learned from working with our customers is exactly that people submitting like a TypeScript enum saying, Hey, build me a product status banner with this TypeScript enum and actually leveraging that. Um, so that's another way in which we differentiate. Um, and we allow companies to bring their own custom component libraries. From the second that I send some text through that input box on your landing page to the thing getting rendered back at me, um, how how does that work? Um, and then also maybe like follow up questions around um, making it better and and all that kind of stuff. Like how mm -hmm. do you think about it as an engineering challenge? Yes, so it is has been quite the engineering challenge. And one really interesting thing about the product that. I haven't experienced in the other products that I've built with my co-founder before. Again, we've been building products eight years together is the level of experimentation required because AI, Gen AI is a totally new space, right? So we have tried fine tuning. We do a rag based approach. Some of the models that you use today on our landing page, some are fine tuned, some are using a rag based approach. Some are using an old uh, RAG, and what RAG means is uh, retrieval augmented generation, where basically when you type into the search bar, you might type in um, a landing page for an observability tool. It's grabbing all the components relevant to that design system and that component library that you might need. So it's going to grab a button. It's going to grab the gallery. It's going to grab maybe an avatar for a testimonial section. 
um, and it's fetching that from our vector database. Um, or it's using a fine-tuned model, depending on, on what you're doing. But oh. um, so so the way it, so like let's say I type I want I want a GitHub commit graph. Let's use that example, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's mapped to a specific um, Esplan UI, right? We're using Esplan UI. Um, does does it like how does it how do you know to retrieve those? let's say the 20 components from your vector database comparing it is it just a simple sim is it a simple like you know vector comparison like you just do a cosine or whatever like the comp comp compare the the two embeddings or how does that all work that's exactly right i mean so in that case let's say epsilon ui has a button and an input and we're building the search bar okay the user types in search bar we then expand on that and ask it, ask the large language model, okay, what components do we need? We need a button. What, what makes up a search bar? A button and an input. And then we fetch from our vector database the button and the input from uh, Epsilon UI. Oh, that's so interesting. But then when you ask it, when you ask it to give you all of the components that it, and now I'm understanding why this gets super complicated. When you ask it, what are the type num, what are the components you need for the search bar? You need to limit its search because it can't, it can't spit out like I need a chair or some like random <laughs> stuff, right? Like, it, cause you don't have a chair component, right? So like, yeah, like I guess there's a lot of coercing to make sure that the output of the language model is something that you actually have. And it's a weird non-boolean logic programming language in and of itself that's that's correct and so what's been really interesting like building in the gen ai space is unlike other projects it's non-deterministic right and it requires so much experimentation of it's it can be very custom at times for for what we're doing i mean of course um i'm so confident because anything that can be done by a human right me integrating things in a custom manner can be done by a, by a computer program. Uh, but it's, it's been interesting, like regarding that scoring that you're referring to, right? If you don't want the chair, if there's a chair component, you don't want the chair component to, to be relevant in the search bar. Um, but what we've been starting to play around with the scores. So we use Pinecone and Pinecone returns scores of the similarity of the uh, prompt and what's returned. And so if the score is under a certain threshold, we'll throw it out. Oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. And then maybe if you don't get enough results back, you kind of try to add your own or something like that. But it's basically do your best to get a, an answer back that you think. Exactly. So what's, what's kind of interesting is literally today I was talking to a customer who is using a Radix UI, um, which we support. Uh, I don't know if it's Radix or Radix, actually, despite me using it myself. It's one of those things I read a thousand times. I never heard it pronounced. <laughs> anyway, using that component library, they don't have an accordion uh, for Radix themes. But if you prompt magic patterns in accordion, give me an accordion in Radix themes, it will give you an accordion using box and flex and text components, but with the functionality of an accordion. In other words, it reconstructs the accordion because in our vector DB, it didn't return the accordion. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Interesting. It's almost like when you ask that question, you could 
build into the product a way for the user long term to like coerce that themselves, you know, like I want to use exactly. this rando component and here's the GitHub URL and then you just do the rest for them or something. Exactly. It's been a lot of fun how this can expand beyond UI, but still related into the front end space. For example, building a form often requires using a certain form library, uh, whether it's Zod or whatever, form validator. And so including that in the output of when you when you ask magic patterns for a form. Okay, then tell tell us a more about um so so I send a request, I put some stuff into the input box, right? And then mm-hmm. you do all this rag or pine cone and all that stuff, and then that's great. And then I get um a component back, right? What happens after that? Like is that is that is it then and done? Uh, or is there more stuff to the product? What does it look like? Definitely not then and done. I'm also laughing over all these terms, rag and pine cone. After this call, my wife is going to be like, what on earth were you talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm glad you I'm glad you defined rag, by the way. I feel like... Oh, thank you. I, I don't know yeah. if people say rag. I guess people say rag. That's how I've read it online. But yeah, anyway. So yes, what happens after the rag-based approach, you get a component back. There's a lot of post-processing that we do. So... We want to minimize, what we do is we minimize what the AI needs to think about, right? So what we will do is we'll our, we ourselves will wrap the component in the given theme that it needs to be in. So for example, if you use Chakra, all your components need to be wrapped in a Chakra provider. We'll wrap it in the Chakra provider. We're not like telling the AI like, hey, wrap it in, don't forget to wrap it in a Chakra provider. Um, because if the, anything that we can do deterministically, we're going to do, I mean, that's been like an, a, an approach that we're very proud of. Like it's been a lot of fun to build is like not defaulting to AI for everything because ultimately we're computer programmers and we love things that are deterministic. Um, and it's been interesting to see how that's changed. Um, so we'll do a lot of post-processing and then we'll send that to our front end. And then, um, as we kind of stream it in, we're actually attempting to like reconstruct the react tree, um, to get it to render, kind of see it as it's loading in. That's been, uh, that's definitely a difficult challenge. My co-founders tweeted about it a couple times, uh, the different algorithms you can use for that. Which by the Um, way, Ted Arific on Twitter, is that what it is? Yes. Man is popping off these last three months. Um, but how do you spell it? You should spell it, Alex, so people know they can follow him. T-E-D-D-A-R-I-F-I-C. Okay. We'll add it in the chat, to, in the description or whatever. Um, Tetherific. Yeah. It's slight tangent about Twitter. It's been so interesting. The things that we post that we don't think about, we have no intention of going viral. Like we're just posting cool stuff. That's the stuff that goes viral. That's what works really well. If we think about it and we're like, what's the perfect caption? It gets one like. And that like is like me. Okay. But okay. So to go back to this, like to, to how, so you, you want to generate, wait, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to generate the component? Like, is it, is it more, is it also just like, just like chat GPT where I get like, I can read it as it's coming down. I want to be able to start to visualize the component and it's maybe better for the user, user experience. Yes, it's just basically to eliminate that 
the sense that nothing's happening. So we stream back the code, but because it's a stream, it's just the top part of the component, right? You render a div and then all, there's all this content, the, the, the children, the, the content within the div, but you need to render the bottom tag. So you have all this stream of content and then you need to render the, the closing tags, basically. So we render all the closing tags. If it works, it often does not work, to be honest with you. It's, we want to get better at it. Uh, and also, I think over time, as the, the model is faster, this um, requires uh, yeah, less need for that. Um, but then once we get it back, we render it uh, in an iframe. There's no secret sauce. You can look at our, at our code. Uh, we render it in an iframe, um, you know, which is wrapped um, where the component is wrapped in the given uh, component library provider. Got it. This, this sounds like a programming interview question. It, it's very interesting. Now, here's where kind of c- commenting on that aspect is the, if that the way we've actually have had a great success um, with that, like what has improved the algorithm more than anything we have unit tests for it, like at different points in the stream, like different code snippets. And I literally have asked ChatGPT, like, here's my unit test. Like, how can I uh, write the write the edge case for me? That's, that's part of my greater function. Like, we wrote the initial algorithm, but then like to fix every single edge case, right? Like, let's say you're halfway through a Tailwind class name or your styling curly brace is messed up, right? Like... I have a ton of tests for it that we threw against ChatGPT, which is interesting because I think um, that's definitely evolving how I would assess like a candidate, you know? Oh, it's almost like that's part of the, it's like if they're anti-AI, they're just less productive. In in my opinion, yeah. Like I would want the candidate to say like, oh, and then as a last step, I might think about some edge cases and write unit tests to uh to catch gpt yeah 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 okay okay how does this compare to something like copilot and like among your current customers that use it right like what how does i mean it's it to me it's pretty different right but it does mm-hmm. seem like it's both are part of an engineer's toolbox like one is not replacing the other is that true and yeah what, what is your general thought on on that 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 sort of thing yeah, that's certainly true. Our customers who use Copilot also use us. Um, I use Copilot. Copilot's amazing. Um, I would say Magic Patterns is different, right? We're, we're trying to be also a design tool. We're right there in our UI. You see the component and you can rapidly iterate on it. And it's very visual. And front end in general is very visual. That's what inspired the product. Versus Copilot... Um, you know, you're not rendering UI uh, directly there in VS Code. And maybe one day, Magic Patterns VS Code extension, who knows? Uh, or IDE one day. I mean, those are things we talk about, right? Uh, to try to bring it more into where the developer already lives. So you can take a Figma mockup or a Figma design and import it into Magic Patterns and then generate code using your component library. A lot of Figma plugins today, they just generate with like HTML and, and CSS. And then also, let's say you don't have uh, a Figma mockup, you can just type a text prompt into Magic Patterns and then actually export that to Figma. So it's like bi-directional, uh, which has been surprisingly, we, we track you know, which features are used. There's been way more exports to Figma than, than I expected, like thousands. 
So you mentioned something earlier about the GPT store. And I heard um, as a, as a, as a evangelist of Tedorific on Twitter um, that you guys like launched a GPT app or something like that. Yeah. It's called component GPT. And I was skeptical at first, but check it out. Uh, The GPT store, I think it's funny to me, like, you know, they've launched it at at OpenAI, OpenAI Dev Day and they're like GPT store and everyone's saying this is the new Apple app store. This is the future. And then it was launched and people were like, and eh, no one's really using it. The output is not that good. But I think the key unlock that we've discovered is we use, we have, it's called component GPT and it actually hits our API and then takes you to magic patterns once it's generated. Like what is a yeah. GPT? Like what? So ah uh, yes, yeah. Like I don't even know what that is. So the, the GPT store presumably is a set of apps that I can interact with using ChatGPT. Is that correct? Correct. That is okay. correct. And Component GPT is one of those apps that you guys made. Yeah. Correct. Component GPT is the name of our app. Cool. And so then I can jump into ChatGPT and be like, oh, uh, I'm really interested in. Uh, contribution graphs on GitHub. And then maybe I have a conversation with it. And then at some point I'm like, can you make me a contribution graph? And it will know to pull for chat for your, for your app, or do I have to particularly prompt it in a way? How does that work? Yeah. So exactly right. The GPT store is like the Apple app store. And imagine you're in the the GPT store and you're going to see us under design and developer tools. You're going to see component GPT. Once you click on it, the way that works is it's going to give you some suggested prompts or just like you were on our landing page, magicpatterns.com, you could just type in a prompt like, I want a component that looks like the GitHub contribution graph. But what's different about component GPT versus our product, and which is why I'm very bullish and um, just like interested in, in the GPT store in general, it's, it's brand new, right? It forces you to kind of expand the prompt. So you type in a component, uh, a component for a GitHub contribution graph. And then component GPT will say, hey, tell me a little bit more. What design system do you want it in? And what colors do you want to use? Um, and it, are you building uh, something to show commit history? Or do you want to show something like revenue or whatever? Contribution, customer contributions. And... and- Sorry to keep interrupting you, but are are you uh so so are you telling the GPT store via your integration with it uh, in the component GPT setup stage or whatever that you need these requ- you would prefer these requirements from a given individual before sending the API request? That that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And it's what was also amazing is it only took us like two hours to build because you know i mean all the heavy lifting is four months of post-processing code and our api and everything right that's where the the magic is but what was incredible and i'm really impressed with the developer experience at at OpenAI is how easy it was to build the gpt and and have it as another inbound channel for us that's pretty cool and then yeah how does that work how does the growth channel work so like if some some random person is happening happening to ask this type of question, would they be like suggested your app? 
Uh, no. So the way it works is much like the Apple App Store. You have to find us under a, a category. It's not okay. like you type in on ChatGPT, I want a GitHub contribution graph. And it's like, oh, use this GPT. Stop using me. Okay. okay uh, at okay, least okay. not yet. There that are might, elements. That makes of- sense though, right? Like that, that would be a great, like in the same way that search, it's almost like, yeah, in the same way that search is such a big part of being in the Apple App Store, like making sure that your icon is nice and the text and the images are perfect and all that stuff. This is yet another way that if OpenAI knows what your thing is about, uh, I guess, semantically, it could probably just prop things up in a non-intrusive way. But maybe that's when the internet gets uh, uh, like bombarded with ads and then then, then everyone <laughs> stops using it. But I don't know. Everything reverts back to Google as it is today. It's yeah, just a recurring yeah. endless cycle. Um, Thanks, Alex, for joining. This was super fun. Um, as as I mentioned earlier, I know you really well at this point, but um, I'm sure the audience has gotten had had a great time getting to know you. And yeah, thanks for coming to the show. Um, we'll end with three questions. Just kind of like speed run these questions. First question is: What is your favorite? Uh, delimiter in your code editor? Is it tabs or spaces? <laughs> and uh, why? It's, it's tabs. And the only reason for that is I've, I don't think I've ever tried spaces. Like oh, it's just, I think very, I'm pretty very sure my prettier setup is tabs. And that's, I use tabs. Okay. 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 I wish that's I had a more answer. I wish I had a more OG answer for you. Like, oh, well, because I use Vim or Emacs and blah, 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 blah. No, I use Cursor. It's the 21st century uh, and <laughs> and I use tabs. Okay, nice. Second question, less coding forward, but um, what's your favorite dessert? Ben and Jerry's ice cream, 100% chocolate fudge brownie. Oh, okay. I'm a, do you know the, do you know the Americone dream? Of course, Stephen Colbert. Dude. That's my favorite one. That's my favorite one. I have it in my fridge right now uh, or my freezer. I hope it's not in my fridge anyway. Okay. And then last question is um, where can people find you? Give us like a few links or websites, all that kind of fun stuff. Yes. Uh, feel free to DM me on Twitter. My handle is Alex Danilo, D-A-N-I-L-O-9-9. I've had Twitter since high school. I recently had my 10 year Twitter anniversary. I didn't use it for a, I didn't use it for about eight years, and then I started a company, uh, and it's been an awesome marketing, and or like just connecting with users and customers. So now I'm back on on Twitter, or should I say X? Uh, and then you can also find us at MagicPatterns.com, one word. Uh, it's that was amazing. Ten dollars for that domain name, by the way. dot com. So good stuff. Damn, that's crazy. Okay, okay, but nice, cool. Yeah, again, Alex, this was really fun. Thank you for your time, um, especially on short notice. I think we messaged you about this like three days ago or something. Um, and yeah, I'm sure I'm sure everyone will really enjoy listening to your story, what you're doing at Magic Patterns. And yeah, follow, like, subscribe, all the things, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was super fun. There's truly no uh, better way I'd want to spend my Friday afternoon talking to, to fellow builders and talking about the product and, and company. So thanks so much. Thanks.